Jesus has been addressing this area of our motives in service. The very fact that we can be doing a good thing, but with a completely wrong motive or purpose. And that is that we can be operating in a very Christian-like way, but so that we are shining the spotlight on ourselves rather than on the Lord where it needs to be. So Jesus has been addressing this in Matthew chapter six. And we just finished off there last week looking at prayer and how even in prayer, we can pray with very wrong motives. So after seeing what prayer is not, last week, Jesus now here, starting verse nine, begins to show us what prayer is actually to be all about. Now, what I think is really cool is that when you look at Luke's gospel of this account, which I believe is actually a secondary moment that Jesus is with his disciples, where we see a lot of the same things uh, from the Sermon on the Mount, and he gives this kind of, again, um, example of prayer that we see here in Matthew 6. But in Luke's gospel, it's a secondary moment here. Later on in the ministry of Jesus, it's found in Luke chapter 11. And right in verse one, here's what it says. Now it came to pass as he, Jesus was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, Teach us to pray. Now, if I'm one of the disciples after spending time with Jesus uh, over a couple of years and seeing the incredible things Jesus has done, I'd be kind of like thinking, Lord, listen, can you teach me how to do some of those miracles like that? Turning a bread, you know, to feed the 5,000 and the fish to multiply, like that would be pretty awesome to have in my repertoire, right? Take some food, let it just last for a long time, feed many people. Or Lord, that whole walking on water bit, could you train us how to do the same thing? Because man, that would really impress some folks around me, man. That would be awesome. Like we can think of all the things that the disciples could have been saying, Lord, could you teach us to do this? Heal people. Could you teach us to preach like you do? They say, after seeing and witnessing Jesus in operation, how he lived his life, they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. Not teach us how to pray, What's the right words to use? What's the right posture, Lord? Should we fold our hands, bow our heads? Which way is it, Lord? How should we pray? He, they didn't say that. They just saw in Jesus's life, a dynamic at work where they saw that he was a man that relied upon prayer, where he'd slip away early in the morning to get away with his heavenly father and pray, where he'd move about and just be focused in on communion with the father. They saw this dynamic at work in Jesus's life where they said, we need that teach us to pray. That's amazing. And Jesus has given us this incredible opportunity to be those that pray. And before we get into this, Jesus has already gone over, as we've mentioned here, how we're not to pray just, you know, in a repetitive manner, repeating things over and over to try to sound spiritual or, or do all these things that kind of hype ourselves up not to pray in vain repetitions. And yet, as he just finishes saying that and then gives us this model of prayer, many people have taken this model prayer to pray as a vain repetition. It just kind of doesn't make sense. And yet this is what we've done by human nature. We've gone exactly against what he just said in one verse to now do the same thing with something he's given us as a 
model of prayer. Understand something here. This is not a prayer that's to be repeated verbatim. And many people have said, oh man, I pray all the time. Oh, I, I pray the Lord's Prayer every day. And you just be like, well, stop it. Just pray. Don't just pray the Lord's Prayer. Spend time with the Lord just in prayer and communication and communion with the Lord, which is what prayer really is. Robert A. Cook has often said, all of us have one routine prayer in our system. And the quicker that we can get rid of it, the sooner we can really begin to pray. And that's quite true for us. So again, this is not what we are to pray verbatim. This is rather how we can pray. Using this as a guide, not as a quote. All right, everybody following? You with me? Nobody's angry yet? Everybody's good? Okay. And again, this has oftentimes been referred to as what? The Lord's Prayer. It's not really the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is actually John 17, where we see this high priestly prayer, actually, of Jesus sharing his heart and, and this desire for you know, unity among the church and, and uh, brothers all around the world for, for the Lord to just be known. And so we see the Lord's Prayer in John 17. This is really actually the disciples' prayer. All right, this is a, again, a model, an example of how, you know, we can pray as a, as a guide, the things that we need to be focused on in prayer. And that's what this is really all about. Now, notice something here too that I find very interesting before we really uh, dive into this. Notice all the pronouns, or sorry, the nouns are all plural. What does it say? Our Father in heaven. Uh, give us this day, forgive us our debtors as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us in it. All these nouns are plural. Well, what does that mean? What's the big whoop with that here, Pastor Brent? Well, we understand that when we pray, we are interceding for the believers all around the world and we are joining together with believers all around the world with a similar focus in on prayer. And it helps us to realize that we are just really a small part of the bigger picture because we can oftentimes get very focused and inundated with our little stuff and fail to realize that there are people all around the world going through much more difficult, heavier things than maybe we are. Not to undermine or, or take away from, again, some of those needs that we might have that we want to give to the Lord, but we recognize that as we pray with a bigger picture in mind that there's a lot less to kind of stress over in our own little area. But also, we're reminded that we're together as a family in this, the family of God. And we come together in prayer. And it's important then as we're a family of God that we don't have any kind of bitterness or offenses with another person. How can we come to the Lord and pray properly before him if we're holding some kind of grudge against another we're together in this, we're family. And so Jesus at the end of the prayer, verses 14 and 15 are actually going to be, again, an emphasis on something he brings up in prayer and that's the area of forgiveness. He's gonna end with that emphasis on the need for forgiveness. We'll look at that when we get to it. But what we're gonna do is break down this prayer into eight different parts, all right? Here's how this prayer can be broken down. First of all, we're gonna see the person, our Father. We're gonna see the place, he's in heaven. The praise that's to be done, hallowed be your name. The purpose, your kingdom come, 
your will be done. The provision, which is give us this day our daily bread. The pardon, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The pardon, or sorry, the protection then, deliver us from the evil one. And then lastly, the preeminence, where we read yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, amen. So this is how we're gonna break this prayer down as we look at this a little more closely here. So again, verse nine says, in this manner, therefore, pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So the first thing we see is the person that we are coming to, that he is our Father. We need to be reminded who we are approaching. Now, many people have a very distorted or, or negative view of a father because of their own earthly experience where they've had a father who's either been abusive, who's not been very kind or loving, or maybe has been absent. And this idea of a father just kind of brings up some very strong emotions that are not a, a good thing. But I want you to understand that we have a perfect and good heavenly father. That every father figure that we have seen on earth, no matter how bad or how good, absolutely pales in comparison to what our heavenly father is. He is a father to us and a loving, gracious father. We have a special relationship with our heavenly father. Now that was something that the Jews you know, had no understanding or idea of. That was something that, you know, God was too holy. So holy, they thought that uh, they didn't even want to write his name out. They forgot even what his actual name was. He was so kind of distant and, and strong and, and hard that uh, this was not the view they had of God. He was so holy and completely separate and set apart. They never used this idea of God being a father to them. And that idea of being a father, you see now in, in the New Testament, how that can be translated into even Abba, Daddy, Papa, this, this idea of an a intimate relationship, a special, close relationship we can enjoy with our Heavenly Father. Now, what changed? How, how come uh, Jews never saw it that way, and yet now we can? What's changed? Has God changed? No. But our relationship with God has changed through Jesus Christ. That we've been adopted in, we've been brought in through faith in Jesus Christ to where now we can enjoy a loving relationship as a child to his father. Look at what we, we read in John 1. I'll write these out here. If you're taking notes, I hope you are. John 1 verse, I did that wrong. 1 verse 12 says this, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. He's given everyone that's believed in Jesus Christ the right to become children of God. And then we read also in 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We're children of God, my friends. We've been brought in through Jesus Christ but by an exercise of the love of the Father to receive us with open arms now. I hope we understand that as we come to a place of prayer, we don't come with fear and trembling, cowering, wondering what kind of mood is God in? 
Is God going to receive me today? Is he going to be upset about something? Is he going to be angry at me? No, he's a heavenly father who loves us and is gracious. He's loving. He's abounding in mercy and grace, long-suffering toward us. This is the God that we serve. Yes, he's holy, but we never need to forget that he is our father, and we can just praise him for that. We don't we don't have to come and try to butter him up in, in prayer by trying to say the right things, wondering, Lord, what, what am I going to get today? Are you going to be you know, receptive today? Are you going to be kind today? Like, we never have to try to butter him up. Listen, when my kids were growing up, you know, um, we had an a office. I worked from home a lot, and so I had an office in the house downstairs, and my kids knew that you know, they could come running downstairs and they could just, where the office door is closed or not, they could just come bursting out of the office and jump into my arms and we could wrestle, do whatever we want. They didn't have to stand outside the office door wondering, oh boy, I better, I don't know how, how he's gonna be. I better try to butter him up. They didn't have to stand there. Oh, daddy, calling to the door, thou that makest thine home a place of splendor and majesty. I come before thee in awe and reverence at thy mighty right hand. May I enter in? They didn't have to do that. They do now. I require a little bit different <laughs> status now, but they didn't have to do that. They, they knew they could just come running in, bust that door open and jump in my arms, tackle me and do whatever they wanted. We'd have a great time because as a loving father, they were a child to me. And we could talk to God like a child talks with their father. Hebrews chapter four, verse 16. If you're writing notes, take this one down. I love this verse. Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you see that? You can come boldly. You don't have to try to butter up God. You don't have to kind of come and wonder what it's gonna be like. You come boldly to the throne of grace because we've been given an invitation by a loving heavenly father who wants to spend time with his children. Aren't you glad for that? It's a beautiful thing that we get to enjoy with God in and through prayer. It's just fellowship with an awesome and good, loving Heavenly Father. And notice now, secondly, the place here. The place. He is in heaven. I'm thankful for that. It's not that he's out of touch and so far from what we're really dealing with here on earth, but it's that he's so completely transcendent over all that is on the earth. He is ruling over all and he's doing so from a heavenly perspective where he sees and knows all. And you see, when we pray, we get to approach him and gain that same kind of heavenly perspective over the things of the earth. Again, where those problems that maybe we're dwelling on begin to kind of shrink in worry and stress as we begin to kind of be seated in the heavenly places with Christ as we worship, as we come to the Lord in prayers. We come to our heavenly Father who is in heaven. We get that perspective here that he is in control of all and handling all, and I'm thankful for that. And then we see the praise next. The praise, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed, that's an interesting word. We don't use that word much anymore. But it's important that we see the importance of this because we can begin to kind of come maybe too lightly or too loosely before God and into his presence where we kind of lack a bit of, you know, reverence before the Lord. And you can hear people 
talk like that sometimes. Oh, yeah, you know, me and the big guy upstairs, yeah, we have an agreement. You know, we talk once in a while. I kind of, you know, yell and share my disapproval about things, you know, and uh, everything, and, and just kind of have this kind of looseness. And that's not the way that we should be approaching God. Yes, we can come and, and know that we're going to be received with, with open arms by a loving Heavenly Father, but we want to come with a right kind of reverence. And that's what's being talked about here with hallowing his name. And, and again, it speaks about how he is holy. He is holy. Now that word holy, again, can create some problems for us because that holy or sanctify, it means like, you know, set apart. And again, that's something that we can kind of look at and go, well, if he's set apart, then again, he's so distant and, and almost foreign to us. How does that work? Well, that's not exactly or the fullest meaning of this term hallowed because this word hallowed can also speak of that which is to be esteemed or valued. In other words, it's seeing the worth of our God, that he is a treasure to us. Let me write that down. He is a treasure to us. It's not something that we have to come and and approach again with fear, but he's of, of utmost worth and value. We esteem him, but we esteem him in a way that he is so treasured to us. That this is something that we want to just give honor and reverence that's due his name. And a person's name was synonymous with his character. So it's not just his name, but who God is, is to be such a treasure to us. By which we say, Lord, I want nothing more than just to burst open through that door and to be in your presence as we worship you, as we pray as we celebrate you, as we just spend time in fellowship and communion with our Heavenly Father. Something we do out of love. To howl the name of God is to treasure it and see the great value and worth that is our God, our Heavenly Father. And then we see this, your kingdom come. So next we talk about the purpose in prayer. Your kingdom come, but not only your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now that's a very important element of prayer right here. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we've oftentimes made prayer about trying to get our will done in heaven (laughs) rather than getting God's will done on earth. We've made prayer this kind of system or avenue by which we think if we pray hard enough, if we pray long enough, if we do the right things, then we're going to move God to what we need and desire. Prayer becomes trying to move God to our will, but that's not what prayer is, and that's not the God that we serve. Now we're praying your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in prayer, what we're actually doing is saying, Lord, I want to see my will aligned with your will. In fact, it's not about my will. Jesus, even coming to the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's faced upon the most difficult thing in his life, and that was going to the cross, as heavy as that would be, he says, Lord, if there's any other way that we can accomplish your kingdom coming, if there's any other way, then 
let it be so. Let this cup pass from me. If there's another way aside from the cross, that would be all good with me is what Jesus is praying. But he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's what we do in prayer, Lord. It's not about my will. In fact, I want my will to become more aligned with your will. I want to be right in line with your heart and with what you desire in my life and for my life and for the world around me. That's a wonderful byproduct of prayer. So we begin to develop the Lord's heart and we become in line with what he desires. That's what we see so often in the Psalms, isn't it? Which I think is, is very neat. Because so often in the Psalms, as you're reading through the Psalms, you'll see some where you have some of the psalmists writing and they begin this, you know, psalm from a place of just complete human emotion. They're stressed or they're upset about something and they want the Lord to act in a way where sometimes it's like, Lord, would you just, you know, take out all the unrighteous, right? Would you just wipe them out? This part, would you just, you know, take their, knock their teeth? Like they're just, they're praying for some human emotion, right? In that. But what happens is they begin to write through that psalm as they're, again, praying and just seeking the Lord. They begin to get the Lord's heart. Suddenly, what began in that place of panic or worry ends in a place of praise. As they're just getting the Lord's heart, they're seeing what, what God is able to do. And they don't have to stress and worry over all these things that they're holding on to and wondering, oh man, how's this gonna work? It's just all of a sudden getting the Lord's heart saying, ah, oh, I'm good with that. I can be at a place where I can just rest now in the peace of God and just praise you because Lord, you're gonna take care of that. It's your will that's gonna be done, not mine. And when we pray your kingdom come, here's what we're praying. We're essentially agreeing that this world is not what it's supposed to be and it's only gonna be made better when Jesus, the King, returns. And when he comes, and I believe he's coming again soon, when Jesus comes again, he is going to physically and literally establish the kingdom of God here on this earth with the reign of Jesus happening right from Jerusalem as is promised in scripture. Jesus is coming back to establish the kingdom of God. That needs to be our hope and our expectation. Your kingdom come. Yes, we want his kingdom to come in our lives where he's ruling in our hearts, no doubt about that. We can experience that now, but we pray also, Lord, may your kingdom come now to this earth. May you right every wrong. May you overturn all the evils and bring in your righteousness. May all the, the, the chaos be replaced with your peace, Lord. That's what's gonna happen when he comes, when he reigns, and it's only gonna come, we're only gonna experience that fully when he returns. So we pray, Lord, your kingdom come. May you come soon. That's what our expectancy and our hope is. It's not in the reforms of this world. It's not in having the right politicians in place, though that might help. It's when Jesus comes that everything's gonna be made right and change, and we're gonna see a perfect place, a perfect peace, a perfect righteousness. So I pray, come Lord Jesus. And with that sort of anticipation, man, that just causes us to live ready, anticipating, expectant, ready, purifying ourselves. First uh, John 3, 3 says, everyone who has his hope in him purifies themselves just as he is pure. So it's a very wonderful byproduct that comes out of that expectancy of, oh, let your kingdom come. We're praying, Lord, come soon. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
And then notice all these first three requests that we've looked at so far, what, what are they? Well, they're, um, I don't know if I can make sense of this now with all this scribble on here. Um, okay, first request, hallowed be your name, all right? Hallowed be your name right there. Second request, your kingdom come. Third request, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Three requests, first requests are all centered on God and on what we desire God to have for him to be worshiped, for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. And so after tuning our hearts on to God, then we can properly pray for our own needs and the needs of others. It's only after we kind of get ourselves right vertically can we begin to have the right focus on how to pray on the horizontal, both for our needs and the needs of others. And that's where Jesus directs us to next now. And be certain that your prayer time is more than just rattling off your needs. That's, again, what we've oftentimes made prayer for. We quickly come to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you to do this. Pray for, I pray for this person, Aunt Betty. I pray for Uncle Sal. I pray for you to help here. I pray for you to provide this for me. And we just make prayer all about what we need. Do this, do that, do this. Like he's, you know, Santa Claus, and we're just like kids jumping up on his lap like God's all he's looking for. What do you need today? That's not what prayer is all about. Yes, he gives us opportunity to pray for our needs, but again, we want to take time to express our need, first of all, simply for God, that you look to him before you look at yourself and the things around you. So we start off by saying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Oh God, you are to be treasured. You're of great value. I look to you right now, and may your Kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, that's what I desire most, is just for you to accomplish your work in your way and for you to come soon. That's what I long for, that's what I look for. As we get our sights set upon our heavenly Father, then we can have a right, proper view of the things around us on the horizontal. So we're directed to go there next, and that's a good thing. So we look at next the provision. The provision. Simply, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, we've already been shown that God knows what we need before we even ask him. He says it right there in verse 8 of chapter 6. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. So if the Lord already knows the things that we need before we ask him, why then do we need to come and Share what we need. Why do we need to ask him for these things? Why should we pray for our daily bread? Again, which is more than just referencing supply my food today. That's sometimes all that we're driven by is our, our hunger, our appetite, right? It's like, Lord, oh boy, what am I gonna eat today? Now, that's not a big deal for us today because we got Costco, we shop at Costco, we got our cupboards filled for the next week. We're like, man, I'm good. Uh, some of us have our garage full of, you know, survival items for the next apocalypse that we're ready for the next two years. We're like, I'm good. I don't need to pray for daily food. You need food? I got, I got a supplier for the next two years. You know, like, we don't experience this in the same way that they experienced in this day when they didn't have refrigerators or cupboards to store a lot of stuff. They had to rely upon God daily for their food. But it's more than just food. It's, it's speaking about really just our sustenance. Lord, provide for us what we need today. And again, why do we need to pray if he already knows what we need? Because God wants us to express our dependency 
on him. Coming to God for our, our daily bread or our daily needs is not to remind him of what we need, it's to remind us that he is the answer to what we need, that he ultimately is all that we need. He's the one that we need, and he's the one that's going to provide exactly what we need. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Everything that we need comes from the Father. And we need to understand and express to him that you're the one we're looking to to provide what we need. It's not gonna be found anywhere else. It's not gonna be found through my own resourcefulness. You're the one that provides and supplies what I need. So I look to you, God. I, I bring these needs to you. Now again, we're not too familiar with the idea of having to pray for daily bread or daily needs as we can kind of stockpile and have all these things around us. But he wants us to be living a life where we recognize daily. We need to go to the Lord. Because if we don't recognize our daily need from what happens, we get complacent, we get comfortable. We begin to kind of rest on, ah, I got this taken care of. I'm good here. I can manage, and we can get very complacent and comfortable. And yet, our Heavenly Father wants us to daily just come to Him. Not just to say, I need this, I need that, but to come to Him to just spend time with Him. And for us to express, my day is empty without you. My day is incomplete, my day is unsatisfied my my day is not going to sustain me without my time with you it's like we saw with the israelites in the wilderness god provided for them daily showered down manna for them every day but what did he say every day you're to go out and you're to gather this much don't take any more because the temptation was to take for the next day while it's there the Israelites could have thought, oh, we don't know this is going to come tomorrow. We don't know this is going to be here next week. We better take as much as we can right now. But God said, take only what you need for the day. And when people did take more than they needed, what happened? It spoiled. It went bad. They needed to understand every day they needed to wake up turning to the Lord to meet their needs, to provide for them. It's the same for us. Every day, we need to recognize our need for the Lord. Now, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 in Matthew 4, when he's being tempted in the wilderness, when he says this, man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Right? And so for us, we need to recognize too how much our Heavenly Father desires us to come to Him daily. And maybe it's not just for bread, but it's for the living word to say, Lord, I need a fresh word from you today. Oh, I may have had a, a great devotional yesterday. I may have really received a, a great word from you yesterday, but that's not enough. I need something today. You might say, oh, uh, you know what? We heard a great sermon last Sunday. Man, the, the pastor just knocked it out of the park, home run. Like this thing just really boosted me. I think it's gonna sustain me for the next two months. That sermon was electric. It was amazing. Some of you might, Probably, maybe not have said that, but maybe some of you did. And, and you might think, I'm, I'm good. I don't need a fresh word. But the Lord says, no, I want you to come daily. I want you to come daily to receive from me a fresh filling 
a fresh word. Don't rely upon yesterday or last week. Come to him today and say, I need you today. I need you today to strengthen me, to sustain me, to carry me through this day. Because yeah, this day is going to have challenges of its own. And I need what you got for me today. That's what we're called to do. That's what the principle is here in this provision that we are being called to pray for. And then we're told, we see next the pardon, verse 12, and forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. Now that word debts, it's not just talking about, you know, your financial woes, right? <laughs> forgive me for going in the hole with that visa statement, Lord, just take care of it. That'd be nice, right? But these are talking about like, you know, offenses that we've done. Now, I want you to understand something. This is not forgive us our sin so that we can be saved. That's been taken care of when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. He atoned for our sins. Jesus atoned for our sins when he died on a cross, when he took the, uh, a piece of the wrath of God for our sin and given us his righteousness. We stand now right and complete in God through Jesus Christ. Our sins are forgiven. We're saved. So this is not praying for re-salvation, but we understand something is that we, at times, because we're still operating in this physical, fleshy body that still sometimes weighs us down, and we stumble, we fall, we make mistakes, and we, we at times offend God by going against his word, by not obeying his word, and we offend God. And when that happens, we don't stop being his children. Listen, when my... When my children go and do something, they mess up, if they've done something against me, it's certainly going to hurt and affect our relationship, but they never stop being my kids. But the minute that they understand what they've done and they own up to the fact that they were wrong and that they're the ones that are always wrong in these situations and that they need to ask for forgiveness, then suddenly our relationship is restored. I'm like, yeah, of course I forgive you, but I need to forgive them so that they can be my children again. They've always been my children. Our relationship may have been messed up and hurt, but now through that forgiveness, it's restored. And that's what God desires in us is that when we mess up, when we commit an offense, we need to turn to him and say, Lord, yeah, forgive me because I don't want anything to hinder me or to block my fellowship with you. I don't want any walls to be up. I don't want there to be any awkwardness. I want, I want there to be that forgiveness that I can just enjoy that time of fellowship with you as, as your child. First John 1, 9, those of you taking 2, 7, Series, you know this assurance of forgiveness. First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not to save us. It's just to say, I'm gonna forgive you so that you can be restored in proper relationship and so that we can continue on in sweet, intimate communion and fellowship together with one another. That's what God desires. So we pray, forgive us our debts. Now, what we like to do is we like to move from verse 12 and just jump all the way to verse 13. Let's skip over this other part right here because that gets a little bit more tricky. And forgive our debtors. That means, Lord, 
Thank you that you've forgiven me our debts. You've, you've forgiven us, thank you. But now you've also called us to forgive those that have offended us. That gets a little bit more difficult, doesn't it? Why does the Lord want us to do that? Why should we forgive others? Ultimately, because we've been forgiven a great debt. And you see, the more that you understand the greatness of your debt and the incredible grace and mercy that God has bestowed upon you to forgive you, the amount that we understand the grace and mercy shown us by our Savior will be proportional now to the kind of forgiveness and grace that we show to others. Understand that you were as much of a wretched sinner as that next person, as the very one that has an offense or that has offended you. You are every bit as much of a wretched sinner, and yet you have been a recipient of God's great grace. And now he calls us, show that to others. Forgive others. Because if we're holding on to bitterness and resentment, how do you expect to go to your heavenly Father who's forgiven you and now walk in this kind of vertical plane of just peace and fellowship and communion if you're holding on to resentment to one of his children. It's going to be affected. That relationship is going to be strained. And we want to clear up everything. Just like Jesus says, man, when you're ready to come and bring a, a gift to the altar, if you there remember that a brother has an offense against you, go and make that right before you come and bring that gift. God says, I'm more interested in you being right with one another before you come and try to bring some kind of worship to me. And again, what happens so often as we do this is we think, you know, we can justify these things sometimes, right? When somebody's offended us and we feel like, you know what? They have to learn. I'm not gonna forgive them right away because they gotta understand how awful they are, how wrong they are. And what they did was so bad and I've got to hold off now not showing any kind of forgiveness so that they can understand. And we justify it sometimes. But yet again, we think we're kind of keeping them at bay, keeping them sort of, you know, in prison to this and yet we're the ones that are kept in prison. We're the ones kept at bay from having proper and rightful fellowship with our Heavenly Father. And when you forgive, whether they deserve it or not, we didn't deserve to be forgiven, but praise the Lord, He did anyways. And they may not deserve to be forgiven, but when we release that and we forgive, we're releasing ourselves from anything holding us back from our Heavenly Father to where we can now come in and again, just enjoy open arms of fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Do yourself a favor and be quick to forgive others, whether they deserve it or not whether they've even asked for forgiveness, forgive so that you can have the horizontal taken care of so that, that vertical with God is also in proper alignment. Know that you'll be blessed as you do. And then we see the protection. The protection, which is, and do not lead us in a temptation. Do not lead us in a temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, this sounds kind of interesting. We're praying to our Heavenly Father, don't lead us into temptation. Does God lead us into temptation? Does God tempt us? 
Listen, James 1.12. Uh, I'll write that down. James 1.12. If you're taking notes, please write this down. 12 to 13 says this. Blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God doesn't tempt anybody. God doesn't bring temptation into your way to try to trip you up. Now, yes, this word temptation can also be translated as, I'll write that over here, can be translated as trials or tests. And yes, God does allow tests in our lives. Why? To strengthen us, approve us, to purify us. It strengthens us because in those tests, we are seeing where we're at. Are we trusting the Lord? Are we depending on the Lord? Are we relying upon his strength in our life? So God allows tests. They're not temptations, but they can be translated as temptations, but they're actually tests. But then what happens is Satan comes along and he uses those tests to be temptations. He uses those tests to tempt us, to trip us up, to make us doubt God or be angry at God, to curse God over something or to fall into sin. Satan is right there to try to use those and manipulate those to tempt us, to get off course. So this prayer is actually more so about asking God to keep us strong and safe and to secure us from going down a path that would be to our harm. Keep us on that straight and narrow. Let us endure tests so that we can be approved. But we know those temptations are from God. They are from the evil one, Satan, who is looking to use those tests to tempt us and to cause us to sin. Lord, Deliver us from that. Deliver us from that place where we might fall prey to sin. Keep us strong and secure in you is what we pray, this protection prayer that we pray. And then we see the great preeminence that this prayer ends with. The preeminence, which is right there in verse, the end of verse 12, or sorry, the end of verse 13. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. This prayer ends with this great, wonderful crescendo where it brings us back to the one who is in control. The kingdom and the power are yours, God. You reign. You're in command of all and you're over all forever and ever. And that's what we are reminded of here at the end of this prayer. Yours is the kingdom, Lord. Nothing's gonna rob that. Nothing's gonna take that. Nothing's gonna destroy it. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power and the glory forever and ever. Everything is being accomplished according to your will and to your praise and to your glory, Lord. Help us to just continue to be in line with that because that's what's gonna be lasting. It's the preeminence of Christ. He is overall. And this should cause us to walk away from prayer having anxieties lifted, discouragement removed, doubts erased, Prayer is meant to lift us up out of the earthly doldrums and to be again seated in the heavenlies with rejoicing in the God who is above all. It's where we're reminded here of the power and the greatness of God and that all is happening for his glory. And then it ends again, verse 14. Worship team, I'm gonna invite you to come up. Verse 14 says this, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So Jesus pauses now to elaborate on something he's already brought up in, the, in this prayer. That's the area of forgiveness. Again, not forgiveness and salvation. God's already forgiven us our sin, but denying forgiveness to others 
like we said, is going to hinder our fellowship and communion with God. When we don't forgive others, we're denying our common ground as sinners, simply in need of a Savior. And that moment we respond with forgiveness, we're going to experience the forgiveness of the Father in a fresh way. As again, every wall is taken down, everything that might be impeding us from our own guilt is removed and where we have just openness with our Heavenly Father. If we're not right with others, we're not going to feel right with God. That's an area that will greatly affect our coming to God in prayer. So you see the importance of getting this right and the need for emphasis on this in prayer. I pray that today we've learned what prayer is really all about and it's packed with much, but ultimately it's all about just communing with our Heavenly Father. Praise the Lord for the wonderful invitation that we have to meet with Him in fellowship in praise as we, as we focus on him and his worth, that we treasure him. As we get to know who God is, that again, we'll get to know in a better way how we can pray, the things to pray for. It doesn't just center on ourselves. It's about others, but ultimately, it's about just that time with the Lord, seeking him and his will for his will to be done. So praise the Lord for that. And before we close with a song, maybe you're here today listening to this message, whether it's online or in the church, and maybe you've not experienced this blessing of God being a heavenly father to you. You've not enjoyed this relationship. Maybe you've not really understood what, what that's all about. And again, I, I mentioned how Jesus today has forgiven us by dying on a cross and he rose again that we could become children of God, all those that put their faith in Jesus to forgive them can become born again, a new creation, a child of God. And maybe you're listening to this and that's not something that has been a reality in your life, an experience that you've had. Maybe God's been distant, you've been wondering, how can I be in a right relationship with God. It's not gonna be through trying to be a good person. It doesn't come just by going to church or doing right things. It comes by actually admitting you're a sinner in need of saving and by recognizing that Jesus has taken care of that for you. Died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin. That all who believe in him can be forgiven and be given new life. And that new life means that you're part of the family of God, brought in now to have a right relationship and a right standing with God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for you that you might become the righteousness of God in him. And if that's you today going, I wanna know that I'm right with God, you can pray a simple prayer like that. It doesn't need a prayer. You just need to put your faith in Jesus. Turn to him and put your trust in him. But praying a simple prayer helps us sometimes just to understand that. And you can pray a simple prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. I'm in need of your salvation. Thank you that you died on a cross to forgive me of my sin. I receive you today as my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me, cleanse me. I wanna live now in you and for you. 
thank you that you've made me right with God, that I can come in and have a relationship and fellowship with him now. I receive that. I thank you for that, Jesus. Amen. Listen, all you need to do is receive this. It's a free gift he gives you. Not something you have to try to work for or earn. It's freely given. Receive that today. And if you prayed that today, maybe for the first time from your heart, know that you're accepted in as a child of God. And would you come and share that with us? We'd love to share more with you. You can talk to myself or one of the prayer teams available. If you're watching online, email us at the church because we want to pass on some more goods just to encourage you on your way. All right.